Good morning, church. Uh, and Christmas is getting close. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, so uh, tomorrow, tomorrow evening, we're, uh, whoever wants to show up, we're going to be at uh, uh, Santa Clara First Baptist Church. Uh, they're having the Bethlehem. It's the last day that they're having it. Uh, you know, live camels, all that. They're going to have the light streaming into the sky. They got the manger. You know, they got the Roman soldiers, the whole getup. Uh, it's super cool. If you've never done it, um, it's just it's just a great experience. It's it's cool to see how they reenact to the best of their ability what it would have somewhat felt like and looked like. They got, you know, they got, um, you know, the wise men. I know there was more than three, but I'm saying they got the wise men with the frankincense, the, the myrrh and, and, and all the precious gifts that were brought to the feet of uh the glorious savior of the world. Um, but it's going to go on then. Um, it's, uh, it says from uh, 6.30 to about 9 o'clock. I mean, obviously, you know, you stay however long you stay. You know, I, I'm not sure how they, they work it out to where they have the performance on stage. That's where the manger is and all that. But uh, it's a good time out. So if you come, you know, stay bundled up. It'll probably be cold. But uh, it doesn't look like any rain, so it should be good. Um, gosh, where should I begin? I love uh, Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. This verse says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I love that. It's God. He is the light. He's the light of the salvation that we have inherited. And it goes on to say, Whom shall we fear? You know, over a hundred times in the Bible, it's commanded that you and I not fear. What that tells me is that fear seems to try to creep in at any given turn. Fear of uh, loss of income, fear of health, fear of losing a loved one, fear of where you're going to live, fear of who you're going to marry, where you're going to go to school, fear of all these, these, all these complexities. But, but he tells us that it's, it's Yahweh, it's, it, it, it's Elohim, it's Jesus Christ, it's, it's, it's all the same person, but he is our stronghold. And you know, a stronghold, a stronghold was where someone would run to for safety, and they'd be secure in that stronghold. I, I don't know, nowadays, I don't know how you can modernize it, maybe a safe house, you know. Uh, but it's somewhere where you can find refuge and have protection and spiritually speaking, Christ is that stronghold of your life and my life. When you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling stressed out, when you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling like you don't know what's going on, where to turn to, the first place we should always turn to is God. It's always Christ. It's always to Him. Not to what the doctor says, not to what your best friend says, not even to what your husband says, not even what to what your mother and your father say, though they may be God-fearing people. You should bring everything before the Lord. And I love it. it ends this verse. It says, whom shall I, whom shall I be afraid? <laughs> Why should we be afraid? Church, you understand that, that we're only afraid when we come into agreement with whatever we're fearing. But if we know that, what is 1 John 4, 4, or, or, uh, 1 John 1, 4, perfect love casts out all fear. Who's perfect love? Jesus Christ. He casts out all fear. And so if we know that and we hold on to that promise and we, 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 we reiterate that to ourselves over and over and over again, 
you know, the, the minute we sense any kind of fear trying to creep in, we can immediately come out of agreement with that thought and come into alignment with the scripture, right? Because many people say, well, sometimes I don't feel God being close to me. I don't feel him being near. You better remember what the scripture says. You always, I always have to go back to scripture because our, our emotions are fickle. Our emotions change moment to moment. In some moments you may feel the closeness of the Lord. And in other moments you may not feel him close. That doesn't mean he's left. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you've walked away. I know you've heard that before. If you don't feel Jesus close to you, that means that you walked away. Not necessarily. You may be going through a season of leanness. And that's just, that's just to strengthen you. That's just to strengthen your resolve in him. But again, go back to the word of God, because when everything else around you falls apart and when the bottom underneath your feet drops out, all you and I have is the promises of God's word. Amen. Amen. Let us grab hold of Jesus Christ, who is the light and salvation of our lives in the face of fear that we may go before our fear and be victorious in him. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit has to say to the church. This morning we're in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, so we're, um, we're kind of moving along here, you know, and uh, we'll see where, where it goes. But uh, this morning we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we'll be going through verses 1 down through 4. This message is entitled, The Difference Between Wisdom and Folly. There's a great chasm between the two. There's a great difference between being led into godly wisdom and to be erring into human folly. So with that, if you can, uh, please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Once again, we're in verses 1 through 4 this morning. And please stand for the reading of God's word if you're able, body and able. And then I'll go ahead and read our text and we'll pray and we'll get into our message this morning. So it says, starting in verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we we just come before you and, and ask that you would give us the ability to humble our, our hearts before you. May we look to you to provide all of the revelation that we need, unlocking these truths that we would truly see the importance of uh, having a, a, a reputable name over having worldly riches, over understanding the importance of uh, you know, recognizing a memorial service and what all that means and the, the, and the sobriety that it brings our, our hearts rather than to constantly uh, live a life of being amused and being entertained. Father, this is not a morbid message. This is not a depressing message. This is, this is wisdom for life. This is truth that will unlock uh, the ability for us to live rightly and to understand what life is really about. So, Father, help us to be wise. Help us not to be foolish, Lord. 
Would you bless us with the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? Would you empty us of ourselves? Anything that would be a distraction at this point in time, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bind it and that you would cause it to to not uh, get in the way of what you want to do supernaturally through your people, through your word, Father. So again, I thank you and I praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right. So last week, we discussed briefly how all of humanity's work, right? We, 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 we go to work and, and once upon a time it was uh, you, you, get a, you get a full-time job and you work 40 hours a week. Now that's a thing of the past. You may work 52 hours a week. You may work 72 hours a week. Uh, you know, some people do work the traditional 40 hours, some work a little less, but, uh, you know, especially in the sector we live, right? Silicon Valley, man, it's the hustle and bustle. People are grinding <laughs> people are working crazy hours and then they got home life and, and they're burning the candle at both ends and they just end up ragged. You just end up ragged. But we learned last week that all of uh, humanity's work is, is truly simply just to feed our stomachs. That, that's what it is, you know, uh, because of the fall of Adam and Eve, it's by the sweat of your brow that you're going to earn your keep. And even though we make it more sophisticated and, and this and that, uh, at the essence of why we work, it's simply to feed our bellies. But even though we work strenuously hard physically to earn an income, to earn a living, our, our stomachs, our, our, our fleshly bodies are never satisfied. So there must be something more to life that we need because all of this work and all this toil, even if you have all of the resources and money in the world, you're physically not satisfied. So you need something more. And that's where obviously the Lord comes in to fulfill us. Apart from Jesus Christ, our souls will never be content. It's a, it's a discontentment when we don't know Jesus because we're searching to and fro, trying to fulfill this, this appetite that only he can fully fill. He's the only one that can satisfy us, that can nourish us, that can make us complete and make us whole and make us contented. We also learned last week that opposing God is ultimately utter foolishness. To, to rebel, to, to have a clutch fist against God as if we will be able to uh, overcome whatever we're going to do and we can just put him to the side. It, it makes absolutely no sense and it's asinine at best to think that we would not want to fall into agreement with the one who created us, who gave us life. You see... Yahweh is sovereign and has supreme control over everything. He does. And some people would ask, well, how come the world, they are, you know, the skeptics, they always ask, well, why does all these bad things happen? It's because he created human beings with the free will. We're not robots. We're not animals. Well, we're animals, but we're, we're, we're of a more sophisticated mindset the way that we operate. But we have a free will. And we can choose to do as we please, but there will be consequences, good and bad, for the decisions that we make. That is the reason why things are the way they are. That is why there is evil in the world, because sin has come into the heart of man. And because of sin coming into the heart of man, now this is what you see. But we also have the opportunity and the choice to walk away from that and to choose him. But it depends on what you want for your life. 
Today we will begin to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and we'll take a, a closer look at the grave difference between wisdom and folly. We have several main points this morning, and the first one is this. Genuine, or genuine, <laughs> integrity is far better than any earthly possession. Authentic, genuine integrity is not so common in this day and age. There was a time where we're being authentic, we're being genuine, we're having high integrity was something to be grasped, was to be something that someone would want to possess. It seems like it's not that way anymore. What is integrity? Well, this is the definition the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. That's what integrity means. Now, I'll ask you these questions and you can answer for yourself. How can anyone be truly honest unless they submit their lives to the one where honesty derives from? How can anyone have strong moral principles unless they are in relationship and fellowship with the one who created moral principles? <laughs> we throw these words around like in integrity. I think in the, in the cultural climate we live in uh, right now, that, that word is thrown around a lot. And it's twisted and manipulated in a way where it tries to make you appease to everybody and everything. That's not integrity. <laughs> that's not integrity. You know, cultural correctness. That's not integrity. Every true follower of Jesus Christ will be marked by integrity. If you are one of his sheep, and if you hear his voice, and you come to him because he calls you, you, your life will be marked by genuine integrity. There's no way around it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a supernatural byproduct of submitting your life to Jesus Christ. Now, if your life is, is not, it does not have any integrity at all, then I dare say, I don't know if you're saved. I mean, this is, you have to check. We have to, we have to be great fruit inspectors, obviously, of our own lives first. And then we are called not to make a final judgment, but we are called to make judgments about other people. We truly are. To say not is to be foolish and is not wise. So we start with ourselves. Does my life bear good fruit? Am I, am I an integrity bearer? Or are there, are there gaps in, in my character where it needs to be fixed? You see, all people should desire a good name and a good reputation. All people should desire this. At the end of the day, honor is better than vanity. If people live worthwhile lives, you see, if you've lived, people say, how, how do I live a faithful life? How do I live an obedient life? One step at a time. One moment at a time, one day at a time. You see, however many moments you live in life, if you live your life in a manner where you're honoring the Lord 
and you're going and, and you're allowing the Lord to to go before you and you're bringing things before him and, and as far as should I do this should I not do this you're praying about things and and you just it's your lifestyle it's a lifestyle to live with Christ right then at the end of your life you're going to have a culmination of all these moments that are marked by you walking in integrity and obedience that's how you live a faithful life before the Lord is that you live moment by moment in light of who he is. And if you do that, on the day of your death, it will be more important than the day of your birth. The day of your death, your, the day of your physical death, when they hold a memorial service for who you were and people come and they share stories about what you did and how you impacted their lives and, and how important you were to the people around you. That moment, that time will be the climax and it will confirm that you had a good reputation and you had a good name. And that will forever echo in eternity. The fact that you lived an honorable life before God first and then before men. That's how you live a life like that. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 1 tells us, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. You see, we reiterate the same thing every week is because I don't got anything else to preach other than the text. (laughs) Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and everything else will be added on to you. I know it's a loose paraphrase. It is what it is. The bottom line is so many people are enamored with stuff. It's like back in the day, the gold rush was 1849. A lot of people came west. Why? Because they thought they were going to get rich and some did. But it's like seeking after the stuff is not what the Bible says. Proverbs 22 verse 1 just told us a good name is to be chosen over great riches. Like if you're willing to sacrifice your integrity to get money, you're going down a very dark road. (laughs) The Bible tells us that favor with God is better than silver or gold. God is the one who created the God is the one who created man and he allowed man to come up with the concept of a means of currency. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So if you honor God, do you think not he won't work things out to where you're going to have what you need how, when you need it, how you need it? <laughs> but if we go running seeking after the stuff And even if you're able to obtain the stuff, you're missing the biggest point of the whole thing. You're missing him. So you got all this stuff, but you ain't got God. Again, hence why we have this void in our hearts that we can't fill. And uh, and these rich people wondering why, why, why they're empty inside, broken heart. Just go down to Hollywood. Just go ask anybody who's really in the industry that'll be honest with you. Whether they're in the music industry, uh, you know, uh, whatever, in the movie industry, all those industries down there in, in, in sunny California, down south, a lot of those people are depressed, man. They're doing all kind of drugs. They're having all kind of illicit sex. They live in lifestyles that are horrible. And on the surface, oh, yeah, you know, they, they do the pictures and they look, ha- they're not happy. They're not happy. Because they're missing the main component. They need fellowship with God. 
And you can only have fellowship with Father God through his son, Jesus Christ. You need to be regenerated in your spirit by the Holy Spirit. And then you can have fellowship with God the Father through what Jesus Christ has done. All right. The second main point is this. It is better to live sober to the reality of death than to live oblivious to it. Ecclesiastes has such practical day-to-day wisdom etched in its pages. I love this book. So I love how the Lord spoke to Solomon. Remember, Solomon had the opportunity to ask for anything in the world, and he asked for wisdom. So obviously he asked for a fear of God. He said, I need, a, I need your fear to come upon me so great that, that you know, then I'm going to always acknowledge who you are. Hence, I'm going to get wisdom because the Bible says, you know, fear is the beginning of wisdom. And then the Lord said, man, because you asked rightly and you didn't ask for stuff, you asked for actually me. You wanted me for me, not me so I could be a genie in a lamp and give you what you want, what your flesh wants. But you actually asked from the heart of your hearts, the heart, your innermost being. You want fellowship with me. He's like, man, I can trust you. So I'm not only am I going to make you the wisest human being to ever live on the face of this earth, but I'm also going to bless you. And you're going to be the richest human being that ever walked the face of this earth. Can you believe that? You see, <laughs> you see how it works. I'm sure you've experienced this in your own life. When, when you seek God for him, does he not bless you? Does he not bless you with, with, with an outpouring of his presence? So powerful that you're like, man. This is, this is crazy. I don't even know how I'm, I'm feeling like this. I don't even know how I'm thinking like this. Lord, you're, you're just giving me a heart for people. You're giving me a heart for your word. I have, the, I have the choice to do X, Y, and Z, and I want you. That's because we choose rightfully. He ends up changing the desires of our hearts to make our desires actually become his. And then we live to honor him. You see, this book, though, again, context is king in the sense that if you read the Bible, and obviously if you're not illuminated by the Holy Spirit and you don't have the Holy Spirit living in your heart, you know, people take all things out of, take the Bible out of context all the time. They say, oh man, Jesus said, you know what I mean? Hate your brother, hate your mother, hate your brother, your father. That's not what he meant, man. And it's the same thing with this book here. Some people will be like, man, this book is morbid, man. You're talking about, you're talking about the day of your death is better than the day of your birth? Is it, people will say it's depressing. This is depressing. You want, why don't I want to go to the church house? They're talking about depressing stuff. They're talking about death. You know, I think I mentioned this a couple months back, but back in the day, the old school churches, you know, if this is an old school church, you know, there, there, there'd be a cemetery. You go park your car and there'd be a cemetery before you walk into these, the front door of this, this building. And when you get out of here, you would have to walk past that cemetery before you got back into your car or walked home. It's a sober reminder this, this life is not all there is. You see, but it's all modernized now. Now you've got to go somewhere far away to go find a, a, a cemetery. But back in the day, the church houses, that's how it was. And it was like that on purpose. Every Sunday or every Wednesday, wherever, you know, whenever you went to and from, you've got to pass that cemetery, man. You can't do that. You could do that. But at some point, you would see that cemetery. And it would have a sober reminder to your heart of what's really going on. But, but this book is not morbid at all. It's not depressing. It, it, it is truth for life. This is, this is truth. This is relevant for every single person that's breathing alive right now under the sound of my voice. You see, the person who goes to a memorial service is faced with the certainty of death in this life. If you've ever gone to a memorial service, I mean, you can't shake that fact. 
because your loved one, your friend, your confidant, whoever that person was that's either in that casket or, in, or cremated in that little whatever, that little jar, you're not going to see them again on this side of eternity. There's a certainty to it. You see, no one goes to a burial expecting the deceased to get out from the casket. <laughs> Nobody does. Now, I mean, Jesus could do whatever he wants. Father God could do whatever he wants. He could resurrect somebody in a heartbeat. You know, people talk about that. Well, how is it going to work when, you know, the ashes that were sprinkled in the Monterey Bay? Do you think God can't just gather up that person's ashes and you get the, they're going to come there and they're going to, you know, if they were saved or everybody, everybody's going to resurrect. But you want to resurrect for the right reasons. You don't want to resurrect and be judged. You want to resurrect and, you know, you're going to be at the marriage supper, of the lamb and all that good stuff. But that, that's neither here nor there right now. But there is a finality to this physical life that permeates any kind of gathering like at a funeral or at a memorial. I mean, it's just you can sense it, right? Um, Some people are elated. Some people are very grieved and sad. Some people are both. I get it. That's just that's dealing with the fact that a loved one has left this earth and you're not going to see them again but there is such good in that sobering reality it's a matter of perspective it's a matter of perspective for all those who still are still alive in, in those moments right they look at them they could look at a memorial service as a new opportunity a fresh start at life again Because people can take the death of a loved one as a great reminder that death does await us all. And I know, yes, we can be raptured. If if the Lord chooses to come at that time, we will be caught up with him in the air and all that. And you'll be like Enoch. You won't face death. But, uh, you know, you can bank on the fact that I I don't know. Are you you willing? Are you going to be ready if that doesn't happen? And you got to clock out like how a good majority of everyone else clocked out of this life. Are you going to be prepared? And this is the, re- the reality, right? When we enter into a memorial service and when we leave, it's like, what are we going to do with our lives from this point forward? Okay, you, you've, you've, you've said goodbye. You've said your peace to someone who you've loved very dearly and they're gone now. And, you know, hopefully they went to go to be with the Lord. And if they didn't, I mean, it is what it is. Sad thing. But it's like, okay, you're left here. So what are you going to do now between the time right now and the time that you have to clock out? This is a question we all must ask ourselves. What will you invest your time and resources into? Again, when it's your time to die, when it's my time to die, will I be ready? Will you be ready to meet your maker? Or will you be clinging on to this life because you're simply not prepared? The person who views life from this perspective is considered wise. You contemplate. You you think about it. You're not morbid. You're not obsessing over it. You're recognizing that I'm not going to live forever. Unlike This is unlike the one who goes through life in a reckless manner, thinking life is just one big party. I'm all about having a good time. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about having a good time. But this is what Satan is all about. You see, he will literally do anything 
to distract human beings from the reality of heaven and hell, life and death. An example of this. When you think about this, I just said I like having a good time. Who doesn't like having a good time? And the reality is this. In good taste, entertainment in and of itself is not harmful. But it is the misuse of entertainment that is extremely dangerous. You see, left without restraint, those who plunge themselves into always wanting to be entertained are heading for disaster. You see, to muse, M-U-S-E, to muse, right? That word muse is to consider something thoughtfully. So when you muse over something, you're, you're putting brain energy into it. You're thinking about it. If you're musing over your finances, you know, where should I spend this? Where should I spend that? Do I have enough to invest in this? You're actually thinking about it. You're not loosely just just throwing it into whatever, any, any endeavor. But the opposite of muse, to be amused, the word amuse, put A before muse, means to not think at all. <laughs> Sadly, many people in this world just want to be amused. They don't want to think. They want to be on autopilot. They want to do whatever they want to do, however it comes. I don't even think about it. I just want to do what I want to do. However it comes, let's be amused. Crazy, right? Think about it. We got amusement parks all over this country. People paying for season passes to do what? To not think. To run around with some big-headed mouse. I'm just... (laughs) Get a $15 turkey leg. (laughs) I'm just... you know, I've been there. I'm not, you know, I'm just, but I'm just saying, right? And just be amused. Like, really? Come on. You know, there's more, there's more to life than that. But this, 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 is, this distracts people from the certainty of death. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 tells us, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You see that? He says, be sober-minded, man. Don't, don't be amused by this world and the trinkets and the, and, the, and the little shiny things of this world. He says, be watchful. You have an adversary. The devil hates your guts. He hates my guts. He hates you. He hates you because he got kicked out of heaven. He's never going back. He's going to go to hell forever. And you are going to heaven. (laughs) So he hates you. Your flesh and blood, he hates you. He had it made. He had it made. He was was numero uno amongst the angels, man. And he, he turned it all in because he got prideful. And so he hates you. And he wants to destroy you. He he does not like you. Don't ever think for a minute that the devil don't care about you. He wants to annihilate and destroy your soul. And if you're saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ, he knows he cannot take your salvation. So instead of that, now he wants to render you ineffective and useless in your walk with Christ. And every time you come into agreement with one little scheme from the enemy, he's working more and more to make you ineffective. And he'll try to make you ineffective by depression, make you depressed. He tried to make you anxious, 
There's, there's, there's a demonic spirit called anxiety. There's a demonic spirit called depression. There's a demonic spirit called pride. There's a demonic spirit called, you know, whatever. Believing in all these things. Amusement. I believe there's a demonic spirit called amusement. And it's a satanic spirit that's just got people just not even thinking. Doing whatever they want. To keep you bogged down. Don't let him devour you, church. The, the, the word of God says, resist him in your faith and you'll be all right. <laughs> but you got to resist. That, that's engagement. You're wrestling with him. But you have the Holy Spirit inside of you who supersedes, who is far superior. It's not even a contest. Satan and God are not on the same level playing field. You see what I'm saying? God is not created. Satan is created. He, 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 has no, he has no authority other than what God will allow him to do. It's like, it's like God is walking him like a pit bull on a leash. And as soon as Satan gets out of line, he's like, eh, he yanks the leash and the, and the pit bull got to back up. Because Satan can't do nothing else outside of God saying, okay, I'm going to allow you to do it. Read the book of Job. All the stuff that happened to Job. It, God said, okay, <laughs> I'll take you up on that offer. Just don't kill my boy. So, okay. All his family died. He got boils. He lost everything. But he remained faithful. And God restored tenfold everything he lost. The third main point is this. It is better to be corrected than to hear the empty words of a fool. It's better to be corrected. As hard as that is for all of us. It's better to be corrected than to be puffed up and pumped up. By the empty words of a fool. Again, it is better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. In the end, you'll get more from the rebuke of a God-fearing person than from the song and dance of fools. Even if it doesn't feel good in the moment. Any parent worth their salt knows this to be true. One of a parent's responsibilities is to point out where their children are missing the mark. And to then lovingly correct them. To set them on the right path. You see, children need correction from their parents. Just like God is our father and he corrects us. We that have children, we need to do the same thing. We emulate God and we, 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 we point out to our children where they're going wrong. And showing them, hey, this is the better way to go. I know it doesn't always sound like that. <laughs> Maybe, it, you know. It gets a little crazy. I'm sure things have been thrown. But the whole point, you get it, right? Children need to be corrected by their parents. They need their parents to be parents and not their friends. Parents need to be parents, not just be cool with your kids, man. <laughs> be cool with your kids for the sake of, you know, their integrity is not a good thing. You see, some parents are so concerned about their children liking them that they will not correct them when they are wrong. Because they want to be accepted by their children. That is a horrible recipe for disaster. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> it's one thing that many times, you know, the children, the young people, their, their peers probably won't have the right answers half the time, the majority of the time. It's like the blind leading the blind because they're all learning. They're all going on as they go. Right. So. The children need their parents to lovingly correct them and rebuke them. When they're wrong. This is again is the difference between 
godly correction and foolish flattery. Proverbs chapter 27 verses 5 through 6 tells us, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You know, as a parent, right? It's the best thing, right? When your child out of nowhere, (laughs) of their own volition, (laughs) of their own free will, not because they got anything, not because they got a gift, not because they had a birthday, not because you gave them $100, (laughs) not because you bought them new kicks, not because you got them a new video game, not because, you know, whatever, you did something they wanted, but out of their own volition, you know, random time of the day, they just come up and tell you that they love you. (laughs) That's the best, man. That, that, That makes everything worthwhile. Like, I wasn't expecting. We were just chilling. I was, I was going to watch boxing last night. I didn't watch it. I don't know, whatever. The, the TV was off. We are just chilling. Tirza was asleep on the couch, and Kalos was on his fire, and he just leaned over to me, looked at me, said, Dad, I love you. I said, man, that's cool. I said, you cool, man. You cool cat. <laughs> but, I mean, that's what it's about, right? That, that, those, little, those little nuggets right there, those, those are actually, they're not little. They're huge, man. That, that, those are like markers that show you like, okay, through, through it all, through the good, bad, and the ugly, okay, we're all on the right track and we're doing the right thing. The fact that they're there. I know I like talking to Mark. Mark would be like, man, uh, when he went down to see his, his brother that, that passed last week, you know, you were with, what, three, uh, three of your, your daughters, right? Three daughters. Like 50, <laughs> through the 40s and 50s. And, and that's cool, man. They're all, they're all together and they're all kicking it. They're all chilling. The fact that, that this man has, has children that old that want to be with him, that want to be around him, that's such a big deal. That means that it worked. It, that means that it's working. <laughs> that, that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, That's the way it's supposed to be. Those are those nuggets where it's like, yes, and that's what it's about. All right, let's go ahead and uh, break down these verses a little bit closer now. I'll, I'll go back to 1 and 2. And it says, a good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Okay, so let's look at just this first statement. A good name is better than precious ointment. Ointment back then was a huge deal. Remember the alabaster jar? Uh, you know, when you had perfume. I mean, you didn't have you didn't have a stopper like we do now. You can't go to Sephora and get samples and use it how you want to. It was like, no, this is super expensive. When I break this thing open, that's it. <laughs> it's all going to pour out unless they had a makeshift way of doing a stopper. Remember, you know how Jesus had his uh, his feet anointed uh, with her, uh, with the tears and, and with the, the fragrance of the perfume and Judas you know, complain, oh, so we could have did so much with it. We could have fed so many people. But it says here that a, that a good name is better than precious ointments. And the day of your death is actually better than the day of your birth. And again, we touched, about, uh, we touched on this briefly a moment ago. Here Solomon is further driving home the point that he brought up in chapter 6. He mentioned that the meaninglessness of life in a world without eternity and accountability. It, it, it was in a bit depressing. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, yeah, you're going to be super depressed. Because you don't get it. And that's why they have that phrase, live your best life now. Because those people are godless. Lord willing, they will get convicted and get saved. But the people in that camp that say live your best life now... Well, yeah, I guess I would live my best life now, too, because I have no certainty of what's going to happen when I die. That's a horrible place to be. 
That's a horrible place to be. You want to know where you're going. <laughs> the Bible tells you where you can go for sure. He, the Bible tells you either way where you're going to go. <laughs> you're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. There is no in-between. You're going to go one of two places. Here in chapter 7, Solomon starts off with two obvious truths, one more startling than the other. Again, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of your death is better than the day of your birth. Just think about it for a minute, church. Think about it for a minute, saints. A person's credibility goes a very long way, right? Your reputation, your credibility, your name what is attached to you, how people perceive you to be, how people see your track record of, are you trusted? Are you, are you good? Are you sturdy? Or are, nah, man, you're shady. I don't mess with you, bro. You're not good. Think about it. Take, for instance, a trusted mechanic. You would never take your car to get worked on by someone who had a bad reputation, who overcharges their customers, and the work is shoddy at best. Car break down two weeks after you took it in. Over and over again, multiple people. You wouldn't go to that mechanic. You wouldn't go. No, you would go to a credible, reputable mechanic that has a proven track record. One who has a good and trusted name in the mechanic industry. In the same way, spiritually, all throughout Scripture, we see the importance of obtaining a good name and reputation through the way that you and I live Submitted to Father God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is, this is very important, church. This is not just for church leadership. This is for every single Christian. <laughs> this is for every single believer. This is not just for the pastor. This is not just for the elders. This is not just for the deacons. This is not just for the Sunday school teachers. This is not just for the worship leaders. Every single believer should be marked by this and should live in this way. Pro Again, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver and gold. Also, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, therefore an overseer or under-shepherd of the flock must be above reproach, husband of one wife. No polygamy going on over here. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and men. Who doesn't want that? That's a good reputation right there. When you have good favor in the sight of God and men, that means you're reputable. You see, people should hate you because you're a do-gooder. And they can't find no other means to hate you. People should not hate you because you're scandalous and gossiping and two-faced and shady and tricky and snitchy. They should hate you because you are living above reproach and they can't stand it. You see, if you are following Christ, you will have haters. You will have haters. There's no way around it. Jesus said, you will drink from my cup of suffering. See, I'm not trying to paint this, 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 this rosy picture like it's all gravy. Yes, we're going to heaven and that's the ultimate. But I'm saying there is, there, there, there is, there is, you have to push through opposition in this life, church. So that's part of it. There's going to be some people that hate you and they, they can't even put their finger on it. They're just like, there's something about you. 
They're just a straight up hater because they're hating the good in you. Be hated for that, church. <laughs> Don't be hated because you're doing the wrong things. Okay, but, but here's, here, here's the thing, right? Okay, Pastor Keefing, but, but, but how do I obtain a good name and a good reputation? I hear what you're rattling off these scriptures, but how do I do it? Well, the application is this. In order to obtain a good name and reputation, we all must start by coming to a place of submission in our lives. It starts with submission to God. Pride and rebellion will keep us from obtaining a good name and a good reputation. Again, pride comes from Satan. Humility comes from God. We must recognize who God is and we must recognize how desperately we need him. You see, many times people say again, oh, I don't feel that God's near to me. We need to understand, church, Father God is closer to you than your very next breath. He's closer to you than your own heartbeat. You were fearfully and wonderfully created in your mother's womb. You were created for eternity, to have eternal fellowship with him. That's why you're created in God's image and in his moral likeness. So in that, you're created to fit like a hand in a glove with him. You have to understand, church, we serve God out of obedience, not out of emotion. A lot of us got to get this emotion thing and set it to rest. Emotions are good, but emotions cannot be the catalyst driving your relationship with Christ. Because if you're going off of that, man, you're going to be all whacked out. I'm going to tell you, church, I get up every day at 5 a.m. and I get on my knees and I get in the word. Are there days where I don't feel like getting in the word? Sure. But I do it out of obedience, not out of emotion. Because I know it's best for me. Think about someone who is a bodybuilder and lifting weights, man. Think about someone who works out and, and is an Olympic runner or Olympic swimmer or gymnast. Are there days they don't want to work 12 hours a day in the gym, on the track, in the swimming pool? Sure. But why do they do it? Paul talked about it. To obtain the prize, man. To obtain the prize and be the victor. So you see, there's a level of, again, you and I have to break through and break through the opposition. Sometimes the opposition is just us. We, we give Satan too much stinking credit, man. We give Satan way too much credit. And I'll be real with y'all. The reality is a lot of it comes down to simply spiritual laziness. We're spiritually lazy, man. We're spiritually lazy. <laughs> it goes back to that whole amusement thing. It, it takes effort to fix your mind and muse and gaze on the word of God. It takes effort to say, I'm going to crack open this book and I'm getting in the word, man. This is the most important thing in my life. This is the most important time of my day. The law of first feuds is irrefutable. If you start your day with God, it orders the rest of your steps, the rest of your day. Why would you wait to the end of the day to get in the word of God? And I don't want to hear that. I don't have enough time. Then get up earlier. I got up at four o'clock in the morning today. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying you got to do what you got to do if you're serious about it. I watch cats on YouTube because, you know, whatever. This is, I don't even know why I'm sharing this, but whatever. I still got hair, so I'm growing my hair back. I want my waves. If you know anything about waves or laid down curls, you got a brush. You got a brush. You don't brush, you ain't going to see no progress, man. Yeah, this is back in the 50s, 40. They did, did it. Black people, white people, you know, they have reverse ways, all that. But you got to put in work, man. You got to brush. 
You don't brush, you ain't going to see no waves. All you're going to have is ripples. You got to brush, man. And when you brush, you'll see progress. It's the same thing in the spirit. You want to see progress, you got to get in that word. I mean, you can't be 25 years in, bro, I'm reading the word 10 minutes a day. You ain't going to see no progress. You are accountable for the level of anointing in your life. I'm going to flat out say it. If you ain't putting in no time with God, why are you expecting him to anoint you with all kind of blessing and all kind of, of his presence? It ain't going to happen. But if, you, if, 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 if you're pressing in, if you're pressing in, if you're pressing in, then you're going to begin to see more and more and more manifestation of the Holy Spirit upon your life in and through you because you're putting in the time in the relationship with God. It's not all on him. It has a lot to do with us. I'm not saying we're saved by good works, but there, there is a move of you and me on our own accord to, to meet him. I don't even know where I was going with that. That's not in my notes, but that's for somebody. That's a word for somebody this morning. I don't know who it is. Take it to heart if it's for you. I'll take it. Shoot, it's for me too. But you see, again, having a fear of God in our hearts and actually acting upon it. You see, and then maybe if you don't have it, you just got to pray, Lord, give me a fear of you. He'll give it to you. Humbling ourselves daily, moment by moment, being convinced that we must cling to God. See, you, you got to be convinced. If you're not convinced that you need to cling to God, if you're not convinced that you got to get up in the morning and get in God's word, then you, then okay, then you're not convinced. It's like this person that says, well, I don't know God loves me. Well, if you're not convinced that God loves you, then I guess you're going to do whatever you want to do. But if you're convinced that God truly loves you, then you're going to want to honor him with your life. Trust me. I just use myself as an example because I don't know what else to use. I've been there and it's like I've been not loving myself. And now I understand that God loves me. And I'm like, I don't want to do any of that stuff I used to do. That's not me, man. That's why I do what I do, because I'm his. I understand I've been bought and purchased. I am not my own person anymore. I'm his. I'm his property. And so since I'm his property, if he says go left, I got to go left. If he says shut up, I got to shut up. If he says sit down, I got to sit down. If he says Go bless this person and be with them. I got to go bless this person and be with them. It's as simple as that, church. Is he the Lord of your life or not? If he's Lord, then he's Lord. He's Lord of all. Not just this part of my life. I compartmentalize my life and, oh, I'm not going to give you that. It's like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, NFL is cool. NFL is cool. But the Lord's just like, I don't even get through a full NFL game. It'd be a miracle if I get through a full NFL game nowadays. It's just not how it is. And I'm okay with that because he is the one who calls the shots, not me. I don't necessarily mean that like I'm getting in the Bible. It's just, you know, kids take over the TV, whatever, but still. <laughs> you see, if we honor Father God by choosing him over the world, he will go before us and we will shine his righteousness before men. We won't need to try to prove ourselves to others. Our reputation will speak for itself. You know, when you're secure in Christ, you don't need to go. You don't have to name drop. You don't got to be running around telling people, oh, I did this. I did that. Oh, whoop -dee -whoop -dee. oh it's just like that's the last thing on your mind. What will happen, I'll tell you, is this. The Lord will test you on another level and he'll bring people to praise you. 
oh, you brother, you did so, so good. Da, 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 da. And then now you have to choose, am I going to just receive it and boast, or am I going to say, all glory belongs to God? That's what's going to happen. When you're riding right with God, he'll allow people to come into your life to see, okay, are you really about it? Or are you going to take this for yourself? You see, Jesus Christ alone himself is our light. John verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You see, he is our light, the light of men. How bad do you want that light? If you want that light bad enough, you're going to go get it. You're going to seek him. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He will. He'll draw near to you. But you got to step first. It doesn't, the, the, the verse doesn't say God just going to draw near to everybody. The, the Bible says he searches. Look at Satan searches to and fro, seeing whom he may devour. God's searching to and fro to see who actually going to be holy. Who's actually want to serve me? Who actually wants to love me for me? Who actually wants to be in a deep relationship with me that will never end, will never get rusty, will never grow old, will never tire. It'll just go on and on and on and deeper and longer and fresher and newer. He's like, who will? <laughs> Whoever will, my favor will rest upon them. Man, isn't, doesn't that make you want to seek him? Man, God's good. <laughs> He's a great rewarder of those who diligently seek him, church. Don't take my word for it. Take his. All right. Oh, I'm going to add on to that. Sorry. <laughs> Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. You see, ultimately, a good name is a name that's written in the Lamb's book of life. That's a good name. Lord, please, I pray my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I pray that for my kids every day. Lord, may your salvation come to these children. May their names be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's far better than the sweetest of all ointments in any worldly possession that one could ever have. Next, we see that statement, the day of your death is better than the day you were born. Again, some will ask the question, how could, how could anyone possibly think like this? <laughs> but this came from a deep sense of meaninglessness that Solomon suffered um, you know, in his under the sun premise, it made him feel that death was better than life. But there is actually truth to this statement. Even the day of one's birth is ominous, despite all the hopes and potential of a baby's birth. Think about it. Babies come into the world uttering the human sound of screaming. <laughs> I mean, they come in and they're they got all the stuff all over them and it's crazy i'm like man kids look crazy when they come into the world my kids don't look nothing like they did now i'm like what in the world my son had a cone head i'm sorry <laughs> okay there rub it down <laughs> but it was a it was a trip man um <laughs> but you know even even uh before a child speaks they're like prophesying in a sense uh, through their tears of just sorrow, you know, sorrow, the need for the need for things, the need for this and that, the need for the milk so they could be nourished. So in regards to one's death uh, being better than their birth, on one hand, the day of death is glorious for the believer, right? Our battle's over. Our sorrow is over. Our uncertainty is over. All things are new. Death is the end of dying, right? When you, once you pass, that's it. There's no more death, man. You're not ever going to face that again. 
And, and, and it, no, man, I'm in my glorified state. That's where I'm going to be. On the day of the believer's death, dying is forever done with. The saints who are with God shall never die no more. Life is wrestling and struggling, right? We're doing that here. Right? Like I was talking about, we're pushing through. We're having to, we're having to go, off, uh, go up against opposition. This is a daily thing, church. You may be sitting down in this pew right now and you're fighting off opposition. Whether you're fighting to stay awake or you're fighting to keep your mind focused on the word. You're in, oppos- you're in warfare. Tell me there's not warfare in this room right now. Come on now. I'm not this fake cultural Christian. I know what's really going on here. I see the Lord. The Lord gives me discernment. There, there's opposition in this room. We're all battling through it. That, that's what goes on in this life. You see, but death is the end of conflict. It is rest victory. On the other hand, though, we do rejoice in the meaning of life that God has given us on this earth. We agree with the Apostle Paul, right? While we long to be with Jesus for eternity, we do see the importance of God using us here and now, ultimately winning souls for his glory. We talk about this all the time in this church. You're only here still because God still sees fit for you to be used to bring honor and glory to his name and for you to be used to be a vessel to speak into people's lives, whether it is to plant a seed or to water. So the Lord can bring the increase. That's the only reason why you're still alive. That's the only reason why I'm still alive. And I thank God every day. I said, Lord, I'm thank you. I want to see my kids get saved. I want to see my, my stepdad get saved. I want to see people around me that are in my sphere of influence get saved. I want to see their lives changed. I want to see their lives changed. And this, is, this was Paul's heart. Philippians chapter 1, verses 23 through 26. He says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. And go be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I know this is real with people in this room right now. I know this is real. You're here. You battle through all kind of stuff. Satan wanted to take you out, but God said, nope, not your time. It's not your time. I still see fit for you to walk upon this planet and be a blessing into these people's lives. You're needed. You see, I I think many times, and, and I don't mean this in a boastful way, but people do not, the church, we don't tell one another enough that we're needed. Like, you're needed You're needed where you are. You're needed. Nobody can replace what you can do through Christ in your life, in your family. You know, it doesn't matter how old you are. You're needed. It doesn't matter how young you are. You're needed. We need to see that. And when we recognize that, I think think when we, we really find our identity in Christ, it's like we don't need no more attaboys. We don't need to be, I don't need to be motivated by me getting a note by saying, oh, good job. Oh, clap it up. No, it's like, I know what Christ showed me. And so I'm living out my life because Christ already showed me. And all my identities are locked, locked in in him. And so I can understand, okay, yes, Lord, you want to use me as a blessing to people. I'm a blessing. I don't want to be a curse to people. I want to be a blessing to those around me. You see, either way, if we continue in Christ Jesus and don't compromise with the world, we will be free. Whether you stay or whether the Lord takes you home. <laughs> as long as you don't compromise, you're going to be free. 
You'll be free walking around blessing people. You'll be free and they'll be talking about all the things that you did in your life. And they'll be, you know, saying, hey, man, we're going to see you in heaven one day. John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word and are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, but we have to abide. (laughs) You see how important it is to center your life around the word of God? He doesn't he didn't say if if you want to. He didn't say when you have the time to. He didn't say when you decide to. He said if you abide. He's assuming you're going to abide in the word. He said I'm assuming you're going to do this. I left you. I've sent you the Holy Spirit in my place. I'm believing you're going to stay in the word all the days of your life. That's if you truly are a disciple. And again, a disciple is someone who is disciplined in the things of the faith. You have to discipline yourself. You have to, you have to, you have to. I mean, I wish I could drill it in, but it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. I guess I'm up here ranting and raving because I'm I'm seeing how important it is. But we have to discipline ourselves in these things, church. It's more important than watching ESPN. I'm speaking to myself. It's more important than than checking the NASDAQ. It's more important than trying to figure out where the next vacation is going to be. Yeah, those things are cool in and of themselves, but we should center our lives around Christ and the word daily. Because he tells us, he's the truth. He's going to set you free. You'll be free because you're abiding in him. Not in the stuff, not in the ideas, not in the dreams, not in all the other things. All right, all right, I'm going on and on. All right, three and four, we're almost done. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. All right, it says sorrow is better than laughter. Again, who in their right mind would say that sorrow is better than laughter? I mean, isn't that the the goal of life? To be happy all the time? To laugh and not cry? I mean, who wants to cry? Who wants to be crying all the time? Again, we must understand the context in which this passage was written. You see, sorrow can have a positive spiritual impact on the heart and soul of humans. Through sorrow, we can consider the seriousness of life, evaluate our situation, and make changes to improve our lives. This, again, is what typically happens at a funeral or a memorial service. People tend to wake up, right? And they realize the brevity of life. They realize that there's a number over their head and they don't know when they're going to check out. And a desire is is placed within them to reset and start over and make their lives count for something more than just living. You see, sorrow is better than laughter because it causes us to reflect on our lives and make personal improvements. It's like, oh, man, I've been neglecting my relationship with God. But this person right now, you know, that I love just died. Man, I better take it serious. Like, dude, why all these, why all these deaths keep happening around me? The Lord's trying to get a hold of you, trying to tell you, man, wake up, bro. <laughs> wake up, man. I'm trying to show you that, you know, hey, your day might not be too far off. Make the best use of time because the days are evil. Don't be sitting here and act presumptuous thinking you're going to live another 20, 30 years. You know, I say it all the time. I can get in a car wreck leaving this building. It is what it is. It's not that I'm morbid. It's just I'm, I'm real about it. And I'm thanking God for every moment and every breath that he's given me. That's the best way to live, church. 
You see, those who constantly seek comedy or fun to escape from problems may be working to avoid a serious look at areas in their life that need to be addressed. Again, being amused. Why? Because it's easier to be amused than to look at the cold, hard facts. It's, be- it's easier to say, oh, man, I got stage four cancer. I'm going to just keep smoking this cigarette than say, you know what, man, these cigarettes are killing me. I need to just stop. Or I'm, I'm overeating, I'm drinking way too much Coca-Cola, I'm having way too many king-size Snickers, I'm having way too many tomahawk steaks. I need to slow my roll and try to figure it out so I can have a better quality of life. It's easier to just keep indulging. Or it's like I'm hoarding, and I'm hoarding, and I'm hoarding, and I don't, I don't have a problem. It's, it's easier for me to just hoard, 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 and buy, 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 instead of saying, you know what, man, I think I got a problem with spending. And I need to stop buying so much stuff, because I'm kind of messing my life up by doing this you see laughing through life can be a means to avoid needed changes and all those things i just mentioned can be used because we don't want to change we want to avoid change and so we just immerse ourselves in more doing of bad habits it is in the dark times of life that we can experience the brightest light of jesus christ shine through the darkness it is here where we actually experience the true peace of god john Chapter 1, verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness. I love this verse. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. (laughs) Do you love that? The light shines in the darkness. Satan can never extinguish the light of Christ. Never, never, never. That light's just going to shine brighter the darker it gets. So in your life, when you go through it, know that the light of Christ is shining brighter and brighter, and you're going to be better and better, even though you may not feel it. Remember, we're going back to emotions. Do not base your, your validity and the truth of who you are based on your emotions. Somebody who's dying and sick does not feel emotionally well or physically well, but they know in their soul where they're going. They know who their creator is, and they can be at peace. The application is this. Peace is not a result of our outer conditions, but a result of our inner state. When we learn to trust God in any situation, we will earn an everlasting peace that will accompany us through any circumstance. You see, inner peace can be unconditional only when we unconditionally trust God. Have you ever noticed that while some people seem to have an easy life, they are in constant turmoil on the inside? They have everything, but they have no peace. And then other people have their fair share of problems, yet they are completely calm. You see, most people assume that inner peace is a result of a tranquil outer environment. But that is simply not the case. Take a look at Jacob. Okay? After Jacob got right with God and wrestled with them and, you know, he got right with his brother and all that, right? Fast forward. Jacob prayed to have peace in his life. As soon as he asked God for tranquility, the rift between his beloved son, Joseph, and the other brothers, it just popped off, right? Remember, the coat of many colors, they, they hated him. They're like, why has he got one? Why does he get to study, man? I'm sweating in the sun. I'm earning my keep from the sweat of my brow. This, this dude have, don't even have no calluses, man. Mama's boy, you know, right? They sold him into slavery, and they said, hey, man. Your boy's been killed, right? Instead of the peace that Jacob asked for, he was faced with the most turbulent decades of his life. (laughs) It seemed like God didn't answer Jacob's prayers. But when God caused more difficulty, hear this church, into Jacob's life, he was not denying Jacob's request. He was granting it. Remember, God's ways are not our ways. (laughs) 
This is why. This is why. Don't miss this. God could have granted Jacob's request for peace with the absence of any problems. But that would have been a conditional peace based on his circumstances. And that could have been broken at any moment because as soon as, as, soon as it got shifty, the peace was gone. Oh, everything was good when my, oh, everything, all my ducks in are in a row. Oh, kumbaya, we're all good. Everything's calm. Oh, here come the waves. The peace is gone. But you see, God wanted to give his beloved servant an even greater peace, one that was deeper and more stable. You see, God wanted Jacob to learn that peace comes from within, not from conditions outside. Once Jacob went through the worst of everything, he could learn to weather anything. God provided him with a way to access peace in any situation of his life. And he's doing the same thing for you and me today. We have to learn this, church. I'm still learning this. I know you're still learning, but we got to learn this. That our circumstances may get worse. That doesn't mean that we don't have God's favor. That just means that he's trying to show you, man, he is your peace. Your peace isn't wrapped up in everything's all good. Everything could suck. But it's like, I got the peace of God. I know that I have him in me. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Do you, do you hear that, church? Where is your focus today? Where is the focus of your mind? If your mind is fixed on Christ, the Bible says he keeps you in perfect peace. If you do not have perfect peace today, dare I say, get the eyes of your heart and your mind on Christ and see how he gives you perfect peace. For us today, this is exactly why we need to remain in the word of God daily. When we allow ourselves to be influenced by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will experience more and more of God's peace and the revelation of truth. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26 tells us that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. It's the washing of the word. We need to be washed in the word daily. I need to be washed in the word daily. You see, and I'll end with, with these last few points. However... Those who endure hard times of sorrow can contemplate ways to change, can truly find sorrow is better than laughter. The actual sorrow, even though it's not enjoyable, it can lead to a new way of life or a new perspective that improves life more than laughter ever could. You know, when, 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 when Joseph was in prison, they said it could have been anywhere of upwards to 10 to 20 to 30 years. That's a long time. For doing the right thing. He said, I don't want to sleep with you. He, he ran from Potiphar's wife. He could have laid with her, but he said, what, will I defile the Lord? Will I defile myself? And so he ran from her. Think about that. Think about that for a minute. For doing the right thing, he got imprisoned from anywhere from 10 to 30 years. When you think about that and you think about how it ended up. When you look at your own circumstance, okay, honor the Lord. You may have to endure hard times, but in the end, you're going to make out in the best of ways because you're trusting in the Lord. 
Laughter is a wonderful tool God used to design to help us express delight and joy. However, life is not all delight and joy. In laughter, we rarely consider the difficult areas of our lives and how to improve them. It's during the difficult times of struggle, sorrowful times, that we are often forced to make adjustments. We tend to look more seriously to God in times of need, relying on his strength in our weakness. In this last statement here in our text this morning, it says, Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting or mirth. Solomon knew our tendency to simply ignore or wish away death. It is better to be confronted with the reality of death and the house of mourning. It's a fine place to take it to heart. Rather than spend all of our time in comfort and luxury and constantly being entertained, this is a great lesson for all of us to learn today to not live presumptuously. Psalm chapter 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The Ramish monks, this is crazy. The Ramish monks, they used to read their Bibles with a candlestick stuck in a, in a, in a, in a human skull. And you might think that's kind of crazy, but the light from the dead person's head was a reminder of the brevity of life. May we live in such a way that we are mindful of the times we've been given and utilize all of them to glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just thank you that, um, Lord, you reveal to us your wisdom, your truth. You show us the reality of life and death. And it isn't doom and gloom at all. Lord, you, you just want us to, 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 to value the days that we've been given, the moments we've been given, and, and, and to, to honor you with them. Father, so help us, Lord, to, to be a blessing. Lord, help us to receive your blessing. Maybe there's some here this morning where it's just hard for them to receive your blessing. Or may they open up their hearts to you and allow you to come in and do a work that only you can do. Lord, if there's anything in us that is you know, hindering your work, I pray that you would eradicate these things from our, our lives and that you would show us that we need to act in wisdom, that we need to be wise about how we deal with the time you've given us. May we not waste away the moments of life that are, that are here. It's like sand in an hourglass. I see my children and, and, you know, they're already eight and four. I can remember when I held them in my hand, they were only the size of my hand and they're already grown. They're growing up so quick. It ha- life happens so quick, Lord. So help us, Lord, to, to, again, utilize the time that you've given us. Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the cross. Lord, without the cross, we, we have absolutely nothing. But the cross represents so much to us because it shows us how much you loved us, that you gave your one and only son to die a treacherous death, to buy back all of us so that we could be forgiven and redeemed and to be with you forevermore. So, Father, I thank you and I praise you. I pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.